0: You guys are that good. Like, yes, we are. The season of Advent is filled with all sorts of excitement and wonder. It's an exciting time of year. And it's also filled with all sorts of anticipation and preparation, right? Lots of time and energy has gone into setting up Christmas decorations, um, revising some decorations. Um, But God is so good. But it seems that even though we put a lot of preparation into the season, that the end result isn't always what we quite expected, is it? Things don't always go as planned, right? Maybe your life is a little bit different than mine. A few weeks back on one of the last warmish days of uh, weekends of the year, uh, but of course canyon there in the springs and we went just on a on a hike but of course people are going to take that last moment uh that last chance to get their christmas colorado photos done you know what i'm talking about and so for us it was entertaining because we weren't having to worry about it we just got to point and laugh and oh did we you know, it's, it's kind of the typical classic cute couple with the Tyrannosaurus Rex kids screaming through the whole process. You know what I'm talking about? ay yeah, Your heart kind of goes out to them, and you're just so thankful that isn't you. You also have the overly coordinated family whose outfits so closely match one another that you simply want to Eve. Then you have the dog shamers. You know, the ones that dress up their dogs in cute sweaters, and they also wear coordinating sweaters as well, not realizing that it wasn't an ugly sweater contest. Yet they all came out winners. Dog shaming just isn't Christ-like. And I have to be careful, because perhaps you were one of these families on that particular weekend, right? (laughs) Perhaps despite all of your planning and all of your preparations to get just the perfect Christmas card, well, perhaps it turned out with like one of these cards. Here's big sister, not too thrilled with her twin brothers. Aye, aye, aye. There's perhaps this one, what you think you're getting a picture of on the left and then reality check on the Right? Perhaps your Christmas cards look like this one, this next one. Now you'll notice great shot. Regal environment, beautiful arch staircase. Um do you notice a Star Wars sand trooper in the background? (laughs) One of the villains of death, right, in your Christmas photo. Now, not every Christmas card has just Christmas pictures on it. Sometimes people have the more casual look of events that happen throughout the year. And perhaps if you were at the zoo, or perhaps if you went on a missions trip to Africa, your Christmas card may show something like this photobomb. I'm hoping the giraffe is not actually eating her head. (laughs) I think the card and the reaction would look a little bit different. But when you receive Christmas cards, and you don't see the kicking, all the work and preparation that went into making them. You don't see the kicking and the screaming. You don't see the outtakes and the eyes closed and the goofy grins, do you? You only see one snippet of time and not the Whole picture of the event in fact when it comes to family christmas cards you only see the one group of photos that were selected the sender controls what you see and presents the picture that seems so perfect so ideal but each card has a backstory and this is true when we see the lives of mary and joseph depicting christmas cards as well Those paintings or even the live nativities seem so picture perfect. We only see a snippet of time and perhaps maybe a rambunctious sheep in those live nativities. There's more to the Christmas story, though. There's more to wonder regarding Joseph and Mary. In fact, have you ever wondered why them? Why were they the lucky ones? And then why then? Why, that moment in time couldn't have been our century in the birth of Christ. And let's take a step back this Advent, and let's widen our gaze beyond just the Christmas card that we're so used to seeing. The life of Christ is recorded in what is known as the Gospels, the four first books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. For those that don't know, gospels is just a fancy word of saying, good news. Because that's what Christ was. Of those four writings, only Matthew and Luke actually record the birth of Christ. Now, Matthew, for those that don't know, wrote from the perspective of a Jew who understood Jewish law and traditions. But he was living in a time in which there was a heavy Roman culture influence. It was a challenging time for the Israelites. Fellow Jews succumbed to syncretism in an effort to live at peace with their Hellenistic neighbors. Israel then was not the Israel of the promised land of the times of David and Solomon. Now, Luke is considered the detail-oriented author of both Luke and Acts. In the first chapter of Luke, he even describes to Theophilus why he wrote the book. He said he wrote it to write an orderly account so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke wanted to provide this. He was the we believe what we believe. He had interviewed eyewitnesses. He was the investigative reporter that jumped in to compile all the facts regardless of where they led. And unlike our family Christmas cards where we try to get every hair to sit perfectly in the right spot... Matthew and Luke were more interested in getting the story right than they were to get it picture perfect. You see, in the foreground of the birth of Jesus is his mother. Go figure, right? She's actually giving birth to him. But why her? Why Mary? Weren't there other ladies in the area that could have checked all the boxes? Perhaps. We just don't know. The Bible is silent on that. But we do know some things. And here's one of the things we know. If you open open your Bibles into Luke chapter one, it says, The angel of the Lord greets Mary and says, You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. How many of you would love to have that greeting by God? (laughs) That would be awesome. I'd love my kids to say that about me. Dad, you are highly favored. Now it's, Dad, why is her fridge empty? And he says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she... Who said, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. There was something about Mary that caught God's attention. You think she would be carrying the Savior of the world in her womb for nine months? She would not only give birth to Christ, but she would potty train him. Teach him to tie his sandals and see him eternal implications. It was a big responsibility with eternal implications. And the Lord thought Mary was up to the challenge. The Lord put his faith in Mary's ability to fulfill this task. You see, Mary's response to the angel says volumes about her character and who she was. In verse 38, it says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I am the Lord's servant. She didn't fight it. She didn't go kicking and screaming. She didn't turn all Tyrannosaurus Rex on the Lord of hosts. She just said, God, I'm up for the challenge if this is your will. What if that was our response to God? What if that was our response every time God asked us to do something? How different do you think our lives would be? If we follow those promptings of the Holy Spirit, how different would our lives be? Would we have one less argument with a spouse? Would there be less one less belly on the streets going hungry? Would we live with one less regret? You see, our character. Her beliefs, her values. You see, God chooses us because of our identity. And as with Mary, God will choose us because of what he sees in us. Not because of all we can do, but because of who we are. He will look for people with the willingness to trust and obey him. We won't have all the answers, God doesn't owe us all the answers. We won't have all the details, but we will have a heart that trusts God, our Lord, our Savior. That was Mary. There were plenty of things that didn't make sense, but she was willing to trust the Lord. It was a part of her character, and character matters. God was counting on that to gift the Savior to the world. He was counting on Mary's character, and he's counting on your character. He's counting on mine. How do you respond when God asks you to do something? What happens when he wants to stretch your faith or use you to impact a life? Do we go all Tyrannosaurus Rex on God? (laughs) There you go. (laughs) You got it. Say, God, childlike like faith it needs to be our response. Say, God, I'm your servant, whatever you need, whatever you challenge me to do. As Christ came not to be served, but to serve, I can only imagine he saw that exemplified in his mother growing up. Where we get snippets and insight of Mary's life, We get slivers of insight into Joseph's. Even less is said or written in the Gospels regarding Joseph. But what we do have is remarkable. Matthew's Gospel shows the connection to Joseph, to King David, up through Judah, Jacob, also known as Israel, Isaac, and then the patriarch of Abraham. And all of which fulfilled various prophecies recorded centuries earlier. Now we'll see that in verse, chapter 1, verse 19 of Matthew, he also describes Joseph as, as Joseph as being faithful to the law. He was a good man. And he was also gracious in regards to Mary and her questionable pregnancy. It was a step of faith for Joseph. And God even needed, needed to send an angel to get Joseph's attention, to comfort him, to look closely. You can easily see the blemishes in the lineage of Joseph. Where Luke leaves them out, Matthew is determined to put a spotlight on those flaws. In Matthew's account, he lists four different women in Joseph's lineage. And each of these stories deserves a sermon of their own, and we're not doing that today. <laughs> That'll be maybe another time. But for the reader of Matthew, you will see the indiscretion between Tamar and Judah, that brought, out, brought about Perez. You will also see Rahab, who was a prostitute of Jericho, who helped the Israelite spies escape, and whose family's life was spared in the fall of that great city. Ruth was not just a Moabite foreigner, but her race was cursed and forbidden in the eyes of Israel. She was an outcast. Yet she was a part of the family line. And then there was the scandal of all scandals for the Israelites with King David. The man after God's own heart was also after Bathsheba. And not only was he after Bathsheba, but he was willing to kill her husband Uriah to meet his own desires. Mine, she would prefer Joseph. These blemishes in your family line, you would prefer to have disappeared, wouldn't you? You'd prefer to crop those out, edit those, cut them off out of the family Christmas card, wouldn't you? We don't like those blemishes. We don't like those flaws, but they were there. And even for Joseph, as he looks at Mary, her little belly bump, he didn't want to become the fifth one with a questionable pregnancy. But yet God stepped in. And I love Matthew chapter 1, verses 20. Starting in verse 20. It says, Joseph, son of David, this is the angel speaking to him, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because... He will save his people from their sins. You see, even on shaky ground, where Joseph was uncertain on how to proceed, God provided the encouragement and the guidance to stay true to the course. You see, God intervened, and God was determined to use those blemishes for his glory. You see, God would choose to use us because of our history and because of our past. Those things don't scare God off. You see, God chooses us because of our history. God chooses us because of our history. God wanted to show the world that he takes us blemishes and all. He is not expecting us to be perfect. That's why he sent Jesus, because he knew we would screw it up. He wants us to be holy, and that's the direction we need to head. But he understands that we battle with sin each and every day, each and every week, each and every Christmas. Whether Jew or Gentile, faithful or not, God's gift to the world came freely for all people, all races, all backgrounds, all histories. Now, one important fact that we cannot miss is that Joseph didn't actually share DNA with Christ. Yes, Joseph got all the responsibility and none of the fun. At least not until after Jesus was born and then Jesus had half-brothers. So how does the ancestry of Joseph get attributed to Jesus? In Israelite culture, it really wasn't in the mix. Well, I'm glad you asked. In Israelite culture, the relationship between father and son was preeminent. When a man adopted a son, that son was grafted into the family line as if he had always belonged. He benefited from the inheritance. He benefited from the name. The apostle Paul in Romans chapter 11 and Ephesians chapter 2 gives us a little bit more of a sense of what is going on. And you can look at those. When Paul talks about us being grafted in as Christ followers into the family of God and being co-heirs with Christ. You see, it was very easy in Jewish culture to understand that when Joseph accepted Jesus as his own son, though he had no biological influence into his making, he had very much a lineage and a history that God wanted to use God chose Joseph not only because of his identity, like he chose Mary, but he also chose Joseph because of his history. For reasons Joseph had absolutely no control over, he was selected to serve as a stepfather of the Messiah. We all have family blemishes and imperfections, like an awkward smile in a photo. We would choose to forget them. However, God's ways are higher than our ways. What you may want to sweep under the carpet, God wants to put on the mantle. Doing so points to his amazing grace. That's what he did for Joseph. King Herod is a final character that we'll look at. You see, Herod was a shrewd politician. He doesn't get a lot of attention, but he started out strong and fizzled out. In fact, almost literally. You see, Christ was born towards the end of King Herod's reign, or Herod the Great. And with power, King Herod became increasingly paranoid. He was worried that someone would come and overthrow him and take away his throne. So it made complete sense, his reaction to the Magi, when they came and visited him and declared that there was going to be a new king of the Jews. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 3 he says, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and catched the last line in all Jerusalem with him. Why all of Jerusalem? Why would they have been disturbed? Well, they knew who their king was, they knew King Herod, and he had quite the reputation. In Herod's earlier years, he did a lot to improve and expedite Judea. He built aqueducts, fortresses, amphitheaters. He even rebuilt the temple of Jerusalem to an even greater splendor than in the days of King Solomon. He knew how to win the hearts of the people, but he also did some of it with brute force. To quell rebellions, he would kill his own countrymen. And so later on in his years, he ended up executing his own sons When he was paranoid that they would take over the throne He would execute his own wives Thinking that they were plotting against him So it made no It was no surprise When he ordered the execution Of the firstborn males In the time of Jesus' birth He was an evil Paranoid man In the end of his life The historian Josephus describes his demise With all sorts of pain Rancid smells and bodily fluids from an intestinal disease. He died a slow and agonizing death on his way out. He couldn't hang on to his throne. But after Herod's death, the kingdom was divided up by Rome into four different regions with separate tetrarchs and in the life of Jesus. Some of you guys will get, undoubtedly get confused because there's a few Herods in there. But despite all of Herod's evil, God used it for his purposes. God didn't condone it, but God sure did use it. You see, it was Herod's opposition to God that drove Mary and Joseph to flee Egypt from Bethlehem. And when that dust settled, they would relocate to Nazareth. All of this was for the purpose of fulfilling prophecy about the coming Messiah. That was the objective. You see, the timing for the coming Messiah couldn't have been any better. Though we like to have our kids born in a cozy hospital suite and laid in a bed of freshly decorated pottery bar and furniture, God had something different in mind for his son. We like to think that all opposition is bad and should be avoided. Yet this is not how God handles things. In fact, God will often use opposition to move us forward. You see, God will often choose us because of the opposition in our lives, because of those struggles. He knows our struggles, and He knows how they form us. They exercise our faith muscles. They make us better. Resistance builds strength and provides... As we go through struggle God to use us in an even greater way. As we go through struggles... As we face opposition, the prayer to pray may not be, Lord, deliver me, but rather, Lord, strengthen me. When we face challenging bosses, relatives at Christmas dinner tables, or tough relationships, consider how God is choosing you to be a light in the darkness. He is at work in their lives and situations just as much as He is at work In your life. God chose these characters in this timing for the simple reason. Because he said he would. Not because it's a hey I'm dad and you have to. But literally over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament. Written some 2,000 years before Jesus was ever born. God said I'm going to do this and this is how you will know it. God made it easy for us to identify the Messiah if we will simply look. And on multiple occasions, Jesus himself throughout his ministry would point to those prophecies and say, that is me. Check it out, look at it. And he punctuated it on the cross. You may only see a snippet of your life and it may not be picture perfect. You may want to be highly selective about what gets photographed for all to see, but God has a wider gaze. He sees blemishes and all. And God is at work in your life, and He is looking for willing hearts who will simply say yes to Him. And in fact, if you haven't said yes to Him, today's your day. Let's make that a decision. If Christ isn't the King of Kings in your life today, it takes but a simple prayer. It simply just takes saying, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. Forgive me. I want to put you in charge. Let's do that right now. If this is your first time praying it, or maybe the first time in a long time, you feel disconnected from God, He's got open arms to come back in. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your gift, for your son. Your servant leader, who came to this world in humble beginnings, who hung on the sins, my flaws, my imperfections, but whose death and resurrection covered over those so that I can enjoy the freedom of And so that each of us can enjoy the freedom that he brings. Heavenly Father, may our focus be on you this Advent season. On what you look for in us and from us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.